Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hi, everyone. Before we start today's show, we wanted to tell you about a special project between Wired and the NPR show 1A. It's called Know-It-All, 1A and Wired's Guide to AI. It's a four-part series that's all about how our lives and culture are being affected by this sudden shift in generative AI. Each episode is a conversation with 1A and Wired reporters and the people who have either had a part in creating these AI models or are having their lives directly affected by them. You can hear more at 1A's website, the1a.org slash series. That's one is in the numeral one, the1a.org slash series. We'll have a link in the show notes. Okay, now on to this week's episode. Lauren. Mike. Lauren, how many streaming services do you subscribe to right now? Do you know? I thought you were going to ask me what I'm giving up for Lent. <laughs> what, are you giving up streaming for Lent? <laughs> yes, I'm giving up podcasting, streaming, journalism. I'm giving up journalism for right, Lent. Well, good show. See, see it was, in a little it was good while. to have you. Good show. <laughs> streaming services a lot, but not as many as I used to because um, some family members and I share passwords sometimes. Oh. And I'm not, not supposed to admit that now. And you, well, because you're not allowed to do it anymore. I guess not, yeah. depending on the service and where you're located. Mm-hmm. What about you? How many streaming services do you subscribe to? Uh, I counted before we started, and right now it's eight, but that changes. Uh, I've been cutting back on how many I subscribe to just because it's all so much. Uh, I can't watch everything. So I've been sort of calling some streaming services. What's the one you absolutely cannot live without? Uh, Criterion Channel. <laughs> That's old movies? Yeah, and foreign films and artsy movies. Nice. That is so on brand. Yes. Well, that's our show this week, folks. <laughs> Lauren's giving up journalism for Lent. Mike is going to go into a hole and watch a bunch of old movies and foreign films. See you next week. Well, we do have a guest. Oh, yes, we do. Let's Yay. bring her on. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. We are also joined this week by Wired senior editor, Angela Watercutter. Angela, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to get into this discussion with you guys. <laughs> it's always great to have you, especially this week. 
As we mentioned in the opening, it is getting harder and more expensive to watch TV. When streaming services like Netflix and Hulu first emerged, they brought a whole new kind of freedom with them. All of a sudden, you didn't have to pay crazy high cable bills for hundreds of channels you never watched. You could just pick and choose, watching what you want, when you want. Fast forward to now, streaming services have gotten bigger, more powerful, and more numerous. Your streaming bill might now be higher than your old cable bill. And the super cool streaming service that you signed up for years ago might be flexing its muscle in uncomfortable ways. Netflix has started cracking down on account sharing, something it freely allowed users to do for nearly two decades. Netflix, HBO Max, and Hulu have all recently shuffled their payment tiers, either adding ads or charging more for the same content they used to. And some services like HBO Max are just removing content from their platforms without warning, making it harder to find certain shows you may love. Now, Angela, you cover all things culture here at Wired, and your team goes deep on streaming services nearly every day. You also are just like our TV guru here at Wired. So we had to ask, are you also feeling this pressure? Yes, I have definitely felt this pressure. I just went through the process of bundling, uh, which in my case was I wanted to bundle Disney Plus and Hulu because um, I was paying more for them separately than I would together. But instead of like actually dialing back and doing fewer services, I ended up with more because I had to get ESPN plus with it. Um, so now I have that, which is good because I like live sports, but I think I'm paying more money because one weekend I was like, I can do ad supported. No, I can't. And I immediately <laughs> like went to the premium tier um, because to watch like Marvel movies with ads just started to like blow my mind because I've gotten so used to being able to watch movies all the way through without them. So like, while I didn't mind it watching like Abbott Elementary on Hulu, it definitely kind of, you know, got in my head when I was when I was trying to watch a full length movie on Disney Plus. I do think that the introduction of ads into tiers that previously did not have ads is especially insidious. You know, like like you were mm -hmm. saying, like the 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 psychological association with ads is that you're getting the thing for free. So you can sit through the ads and then asking you to pay for something and still showing you ads. It just it, like it, like you said, it breaks your brain. Mm -hmm. I had that experience with Amazon Prime Video a little while ago. I don't know if it still works this way. I'm also no longer an Amazon Prime subscriber, but maybe a year or two ago, I went into Amazon Prime. I found a movie that I wanted to watch. I started watching it and there were ads and I was like, what is happening? And it turned out that I had it had gone to imdb.com streaming service, yeah. which is owned by Amazon and has its own separate streaming service. And they, no matter what you're paying for, they just insert ads. And I was like, this feels, it just feels broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was that Freebie? Is that their, like... Is that what it's called now? Ads? Maybe? I think it might be now. Their, Freebie is also one of their offerings, but I don't know if that's the one associated with IMDb Pro. Yeah. Who can make sense of any of this? <laughs> yeah. Angela, what would you say are the top three examples, if you had to name three, of streaming services either cutting back, cracking down, or adding ads in like a really egregious way? I mean, I would say definitely Netflix kind of cutting down on password sharing, uh, which, you know, as Mike mentioned in the beginning, was like, you know, something they kind of just looked the other way on for a long time, because like, as long as they were showing that like people were streaming these things for hours, they kind of just justified it. And, you know, it um they were still making plenty of money so like they kind of just went with it i think the other one is yeah services that didn't have ads all of a sudden now having ads like i get it on something like hulu which is like 
showing like regular network programming um, like from ABC because you would be watching those with ads if you were watching them on television or cable anyway. But yeah, when you're trying to watch a two hour movie and you have an ad break every 20 or 30 minutes, it kind of just like it feels like you're watching it on TBS or something, uh, which was kind of antithetical to the point of streaming. The other one is it hasn't really happened yet, but my personal favorite streaming service this whole time has been HBO Max, or at least for the last two years. And, you know, they just merged with Discovery, Warner Brothers merged with Discovery. And next summer, I believe, um, or this upcoming summer, they're going to merge HBO Max with Discovery, which is like, look, I love some HGTV. Like I like (laughs) Discovery programming, but like when I'm trying to like sit around and watch, you know, The Wire, I don't want to watch House Hunters. You know, like I just like there's sort of a there's a weird unsiloing that's happening as all these companies um, merge or bundle their services that it feels it feels really off. Um, and my personal sad moment with this whole thing was that there was this great HBO show. It was a mini series. It was called Mrs. Fletcher. It starred Catherine. Oh, Hyde. yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. I watched the entire thing. It was only a few episodes. I watched the entire thing probably two or three times all the way through. And it's one of those that like, Recently, it just wasn't worth it to HBO Max to have it anymore. And now you can't watch it anywhere. You can't even like buy it, I don't think. Like it's just gone. And I feel like that's going to happen more and more with a lot of, you know, beloved shows. So you're describing a scenario in which that content was originally created, developed, produced by HBO. There isn't much of an incentive for them necessarily to distribute it somewhere else. They're just taking it off their platform and that's it. Um, Which brings me to a question about original content versus licensed programming. So several years ago, companies like Netflix were being given kudos for producing high quality original content, starting with things like you might remember Lilyhammer or House of Cards. And then that put pressure on the other streaming services to also develop their own original content. But of course, doing that is really expensive. So I'm wondering, have you seen any shifts in that area? I think that they're still putting a lot into original programming, but you get this sort of effect where they realize like it's only worth doing for two seasons. So people don't have, they don't get invested in a show for very long because they don't really think it's going to stick around much. So that everything has become sort of fast and loose in that way. And with something like HBO Max, where, you know, they had original programming, like I think when they did the, when they announced the merger and they were going through all the books or whatever, like they were just not even releasing things they'd made, like the Batgirl movie, because it's a tax write-off, you know, like it's cheaper to just not release it. So there's a lot of stuff that, they end up um, either shelving or only running for a certain amount of time and then taking off because it's cheaper to not offer it on some balance sheet. And so like, that's just a really, I think for people who really love television and really love film, like it's a, like it's a really, really base way to like think about um, creativity and filmmaking and art. Yeah. And it feels backwards, right? Like you feel like if the company has already invested all this money into it, then like what is the downside financially of just putting this show into your catalog and making it available for people to watch? Like something like Mrs. Fletcher, you know, why not just leave it there? It, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of accounting magic happening in the in the background that we don't know about. But to the, you know, average television watcher, it just feels like a no-brainer to just be available. I think some of it comes down to like the contracts that were made with the original people who worked on the show, like whether or not they get residuals, whether or not the people in the in the unions who like, you know, do sound and like grips and things like that, you know, like whether or not they 
um, have it in their contracts that they get residuals for every single time that it runs because then maybe it doesn't actually um, hit the bottom line the same way. But still, it's like, then why did, you know, why did all these things, um, you know, why weren't they properly invested in or properly promoted or, um, you know, kind of calculated in a way that seems to benefit everyone? Before we take a break, I do want to come back to the topic of Netflix, because uh, for a very long time, the company allowed password sharing. So you could share your account with multiple people in your family or in your home. And they have started rolling out a system where that is not allowed anymore uh, in different countries. It's a couple places in Europe, I think in Canada. It will come to the US eventually. And it's at the front of everybody's minds because of that sort of impending doom. Uh, so I'm wondering whether or not this was inevitable uh, whether this was something that we should have been prepared for, because growing up, we used to trade CDs with each other. We would trade records with each other, uh, VHS tapes, DVDs. It was sort of this freewheeling, hey, I'm into this thing, check it out. And that's sort of the spirit that emerged with Netflix, where you could sort of pass the thing around so that everybody could get the same experience. And then you had something to talk about with your friends. And, um, you know, we should have been maybe more aware that this was coming, but it's still taking us by surprise and it's still upsetting to us. And I wonder if you can help us figure out why. I mean, I think that like, we kind of came to that level of comfort with where things were because like when Netflix launched a streaming service and then when, you know, others sort of came along um, following in its footsteps, we all thought, surely they have learned the lessons of Napster. Like surely they have learned that like, if you try to walled garden content, people are gonna find ways around it. And that's why they're sort of looking the other way on password sharing or, you know, trying to um, be a little more freewheeling about these kind of things. But, you know, lo and behold, uh, they are not anymore. And as I saw on Twitter the other day, somebody was saying like, you know, an entirely new generation is probably going to discover torrenting. So yeah. all those things that disappear from streaming services will still live on just in somewhere maybe slightly more illicit. Nice. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just going to spend all my time on TikTok from now on. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. All right, let's take a break and we'll come right back. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. All right. So in the first half of the show, we talked about all the ways your favorite streaming services are becoming onerous and all of the bad things that are happening in the streaming world. Now, for the second half, we would like to talk about why it's happening and what happens next. So, Angela, I keep thinking about this package that you and your fellow culture writers on Wired ran last summer. Uh, it was called Why We Hate Streaming, and it was a whole bunch of stories about the algorithmic glut, 
uh, about exhaustion, about there just being way too much in your queue to watch. And, you know, that was nine months ago. And I feel like not a whole lot has improved since then. Do you think that this fatigue on the viewer side, on the user end, is something that's maybe driving some of these changes in the streaming industry? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, because so many streaming services have launched and, like, all those things that used to be on Netflix, you know, like um, like Lauren was saying earlier, you know, when the streaming services used to license things, like, it used to be where you watched The Office, et cetera, et cetera. But then the original studios that made those um, or the original networks that ran them uh, started their own streaming services. So everything got parsed out again. And now we need to, you know, subscribe to eight different things just to watch the things that we used to be able to watch on three different channels. Um, And so, you know, you kind of created this problem where I think streaming services are starting to see the writing on the wall that like this can't just keep getting bigger forever. And so there's a lot of kind of batting down the hatches or saying, you know, like, okay, we'll do ad supported so that we can keep a certain number of people or, you know, allow a certain number of people onto the service. But at a certain point, like, I think people are just going to give up, pick three and move on or pick two and move on and just accept the fact that they can't watch. Only, only three. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm saying for like people who aren't us, Mike, who like don't, you know, Stream the Criterion channel for 20 hours a week. (laughs) I keep thinking about how we, as human beings, we have limits. There are only so many things that we can watch or consume in any given day. We have, if we're lucky, two eyes, you know, and enough senses to watch maybe a couple programs per week. Um, A lot of us have jobs. We have to take care of our families. We have to sleep at some point. I think there was one streaming executive who was asked about competition once, and he said his competition was sleep. Was that Reed Hastings, Angela? That might have been, yeah. I think it was, yeah. So we have these limits as human beings, and yet the streaming media companies seem absolutely determined to squeeze every last drop of attention and every last penny out of us at this moment in time. Angela, what's the end game here? I think we're going to see a lot more consolidation, like what we saw with Warner Brothers Discovery kind of taking HBO Max and their other streaming service, which was, you know, Discovery Plus and kind of those will get merged. Other things will get merged. I mean, we sort of forget sometimes that Hulu started as a combined effort between, you know, was it NBC, Fox and ABC. Um, And so, like, eventually, I think that the companies themselves realizing that people will only subscribe to so many services are going to, there's going to be what I used to call R and D through M and a, you know, like there's, instead of developing (laughs) another streaming service or like launching more programming, they're just either going to merge with another company that already is offering that service, or they're going to acquire their, their catalog. Um, I remember somebody saying something months ago, they were just like, how soon before Apple acquires like A24 or some other sort of boutique Mm. movie studio or whatever. And just so that Apple TV plus can have, you know, this wide and varied Criterion-esque catalog of of films. And so like, I think that we're just going to see more and more of that either. Some of them will just drop off and die, but like some of them are, you know, like Peacock or something are backed by already, you know, multinational media conglomerates. So like, either that conglomerate is going to sell Peacock somewhere else or buy a, another company to merge with it to make their thing the the dominant thing. You know, I mean, like that kind of happened with 
Disney and Hulu, you know, Disney finally acquired Fox and eventually got sort of the majority stake in Hulu. And that's why, you know, that's why I now have to face this major bundle crisis that I was facing. <laughs> right. Um, so it's a giant land grab. The, yeah. the idea is, you know, if your eyeballs are on our primary service, we're going to acquire one of the smaller ones. So in the event that you're watching that instead, it's all contributing to our bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's troubling to me because I think that some of the biggest successes in the streaming world are the hyper-focused services, right? Like we've talked about Criterion, which is art films, foreign movies, uh, historically important movies, and there's you know millions of hours on there. Maybe not millions, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, also, Shudder for horror. Like if you're a horror fan, you have Shudder. Right. Um, if you're a BBC hound, you have BritBox. There are these services that just do one thing extremely well. And I think those are great. And I would love it if those stayed independent so that I could pick and choose from those instead of having to buy into a giant streaming service with a bunch of garbage that I'll never watch just to get that slim sliver of the thing that I'm interested in. Which gets back to what you were saying before about is it all just cable again, right? Like you used yeah. to have to buy cable. <laughs> You know, if you wanted to have HBO and maybe Showtime or something, but then you got 3,000, you know, other channels that you never, never tuned into. Mike used to be a huge fan of Cinemax, but like late at night. (laughs) You've been reading my mail. (laughs) I mean, Cinemax had some really great stuff on it that was not softcore pornography, (laughs) like The Nick. I was going to say they had The Nick, which for a long time was also one of those shows that disappeared, but then... When uh, they brought all of their Cinemax content onto HBO, um, then it finally came back to HBO Max and probably will disappear again, sadly. Yeah, at some point, it'll just go away. Where does YouTube fit into all of this? I mean, the fact that like YouTube TV does seem to have almost everything that cable used to have is slowly becoming a bigger selling point for me. I still have regular cable, but... If I ever got rid of it, I would probably do YouTube TV and my bill would probably be the same, which is the only reason that I don't. I have a th- I have a, a belief, <laughs> a hard earned belief that I would like to share, which is that YouTube premium, which gives you YouTube ad free and YouTube music ad free for $12 a month is like the best deal in the streaming world. Because you get a music streaming service and you get YouTube without ads. All for 12 bucks. That's awesome. I watch a ton of YouTube. I probably watch an hour of YouTube a day, I would guess. And, you know, to have that experience without ads is just wonderful. It's amazing. What do you most often watch on YouTube? Uh, This is going to surprise you, but I watch cooking shows and I watch uh, live music performances because there's so many good ones on there, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly like there are sort of live on the air shows on radio stations around the world that the radio stations have like a television studio, you know, at, in in conjunction with their audio studio. So there's cameras running while the bands are playing. And then the, uh, the radio stations will put these, you know, 30 minute performances on a feed. So there's a bunch of those. I watch, you know, a few of those. I watch cooking shows. I do love Hot Ones from First We Feast, Complex Media, the Hot Wings chat show. Yeah, I watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> I find that I watch a lot of yoga on YouTube, yoga and meditation, uh, 
those get ready with me videos i love oh yeah like some are branded that but it doesn't necessarily have to be branded that but this idea of like someone who wakes up in paris and is like oh i'm so disheveled i must get ready for my day out riding my my uh cruiser bicycle to get the baguettes you know and then they sort of do this thing with their hair or they put a little bit of lipstick on or they're like they give themselves like a face massage and then they're like look i look so glamorous like i'm just totally addicted to those morning routine videos Mm -hmm. and then i i've mentioned this in the show before but then every so often you like you can go really deep into history on youtube too like the cnn cold wars the 24 part cold war series that i've been working through which is not supposed to be on youtube i don't think (laughs) probably not but i've been watching it it's great please don't take it down (laughs) (laughs) you know and like what we're both saying is that YouTube is cutting into the time that we're spending watching television right, that from not the streaming something services. Else. Right. And I'm currently not paying for YouTube. Right. So for, you know, for people like us, it's YouTube. For other people, it's TikTok was... or Instagram stories. For other people, you mean young people, you people younger than us. Sure. But Lauren, I was just going to ask you, though, didn't you say like that you've been watching a lot of TikTok? Would you pay for ad free TikTok? Or, you know, unlimited TikTok. (laughs) To be fair, I was being facetious. I did a little experiment recently (laughs) that I wrote about in Wired where I used TikTok for search for a week, trying to avoid Google or Bing and just using TikTok for search. It I failed spectacularly, but that was not unexpected. So I got like a little more into TikTok, but I still don't find those uh, those little snackable bites don't really fulfill that need I have at the end of the evening to like kind of get into something and wind down yeah but no so i don't know if i would no i probably wouldn't pay for ad free tiktok no i would pay for a version of tiktok that was like like 100 guarantee that your data is not being used for nefarious reasons uh i don't think there's any service in the internet yeah, that can give you that guarantee no we live in the the data revolution <laughs> it's like the new industrial revolution we're in the data revolution well we just went from bleak to dark I'm sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> But now we're going to give you some recommendations for fun (laughs) recipes and apps that you can use to improve your life. Let's do that, actually. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. Okay. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. And on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition. Click Here. And liftoff. Click Here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Angela, yes, you are our guest, so you get to go first. What is your recommendation for our audience? Um, so this week sees the release of a little film called Cocaine Bear. And if you are somebody yes. who thinks that a movie called Cocaine Bear is up your alley, trust me, you are correct. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. This was directed by Elizabeth Banks. That's correct. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I just listened to her on the Mark Maron podcast, yeah. and I was like, "Gotta see Cocaine Bear." Yeah, yeah. No, she's <laughs> she's fantastic. Um, and yeah, it it's a movie about a bear who eats cocaine. 
And it's based on a true story? It is, except the bear in the true story, I think, just overdosed and died, which is terribly sad. This one goes mm. on a murderous rampage. Um, I'm not, that's not spoiling anything that's in the trailer. But yeah. did you see it in the theaters? I did. And what was the reaction of people in the theaters? There was laughter and uh, amused screaming, I would say. Um, <laughs> and. <laughs> Shock and shock and surprise. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's again, as I said, if you think that a movie called Cocaine Bear sounds like something you're into, you're probably <laughs> correct. Uh, you know, you, nobody's expecting Art House. We're expecting, you know, midnight movie, future cult classic kind of stuff. Um, and that's that's what you get. What kind of bear is this? It's a is black this a grizzly, black bear or brown bear. Black bear huh? um, I think black bear. It's a cocaine bear. It's, it's a, right, with a little white dusting on it. <laughs> it is definitely a cocaine bear. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk that. Uh, well, Lauren, you have to. What's, what's your recommendation? I, can't. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly a little bit of a loss this week. I'm a little tired. I've been keeping some odd hours. Okay, so I, I mentioned the Mark Maron podcast. Mm-hmm. I do like Mark Maron's podcast. And he recently did a stand-up, Mike, that you recommended to me I offline did. called From Bleak to Dark. From Bleak to Dark. From Bleak to Dark. It's on HBO Max. HBO Max, please don't just take it off and then, you know, <laughs> make it and then disappear it. Uh, and I really, I actually really enjoyed that. It is dark, but I liked it. So I would recommend that. And here's something I would not recommend, which is watching Ozark before bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you've been I'm going back and watching all yeah, of Yeah, I'm very late into to Ozark. And I've told a couple people this, that I've just started watching Ozark, and their reaction is always, oh, I'm so jealous that you get to start that fresh. Because that's always really fun when you're like, you're new to it and everyone else has seen it already. And and you're just, the roller coaster has just begun for you. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I'm watching it before bed, and then maybe that's why I'm not sleeping so well this week. So don't watch Ozark before bed. That is a show that also goes from bleak to dark. It is, yeah, it's dark. <laughs> Mike, what's your recommendation this week? Uh, so I weirdly also am going to recommend a movie starring an animal that goes on an adventure. It's called EO, and it's the letter E and the letter O. And it is a new movie that uh, just came out on streaming. It's been in theaters for a few months. It's an Oscar movie. It's uh, actually the Best Picture International nominee from Poland. It's a movie about a donkey. So you meet this donkey. It's a happy donkey at a circus. It has a very loving caretaker. And then things start happening to the donkey. And the donkey ends up going to different places, meeting different humans, meeting different animals, having an adventure, walking around Europe and seeing what's going on all over different parts of Europe. I got to say, this this movie is delightful. It is extremely weird. It gets very surreal at certain points, uh, but it is always riveting and entertaining. The donkey, I guess multiple donkeys that play the title character EO are awesome. You spend every frame of the movie nearly every frame in the movie with the donkey, seeing the things that the donkey sees. So the donkey becomes this sort of stand-in for you as an observant, silent, sentient Mm. being who is feeling emotions, but not necessarily having their emotions affect the thing that they're seeing. 
I I can't say enough about it. Uh, one of the best movies that I've seen in the last year, for sure. Like top three. Really amazing. See it. Um, right now you can rent it for six bucks at like the big, you know, rental warehouses in the in the cloud and the internet. Uh, or if you have, again, if you have Criterion, it's streaming exclusively for subscribers on Criterion. So if you have that already, you don't have to pay for it. But what I'm hearing is that it doesn't go from bleak to dark. Um, does I, EO die? I don't want to give anything away, but it does say a lot oh. about human cruelty towards animals, but it mm. does not do so in an exploitative way. Uh, it does so tastefully, but you get the point and it doesn't really like hammer at home. So it's not depressing. It's a very uplifting movie. Uh, although, you know, animals' lives usually do not end peacefully in this world. Right. We mostly kill them and eat them or we kill them when we take their fur or they just die because of neglect. And the movie exposes that. But it doesn't, you know, like I said, it's not the movie doesn't it doesn't hinge on that fact. It's really it's a celebration of life more than anything. Things just got really dark. <laughs> I don't I don't treat my animals that way. No. Not most pets. Yeah. Like house pets. Right. But, you know, think about all the chickens you've eaten in your life. <sighs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm trying to find the bright spot here, Mike. There isn't one, except for the fact that uh, it's a joyful hour and 26 minutes. Just like I'm sure Cocaine Bear is. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Mark Maron's stand up is, or Ozark for that matter. All right. Well, All right. hopefully uh, this week has given everybody uh, who's listening uh, something to think about with regards to what they want to watch tonight and what they want to spend their money on in the future, whether they want to cancel a subscription service or sign up for a new one, like Shudder. <laughs> I like how you took that last opportunity just to plug the horror movie service. <laughs> Shudder. It's, it's a good so name. good. Anyway, that is our show for this week. Angela, thanks for coming on again. It's always great to have you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Angela. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week with another show. And until then, be well. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.